We are just starting off, last week we started off our series, which is called Property Of. It's, it's property of with two question marks. It's a question asking, you know, whose property is it? What are we property of? And I just want to look in, in the Word of God and, and give an understanding that of the, the, whose property we really are. As we look at Psalms uh, chapter 100 and verse 3 in the English Standard Version, it says, Know that the Lord, He is God. We know that God, He is God. The Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His people the sheep of his pasture. Another version, it says, know that the Lord is God, he made us. We belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his own pasture. In Psalms 24 and verse one, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all that belong to him. And in Psalms 139, verse 13 and 14, it says, for you, were fo you formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. So when we see the question property of, we can see where the scriptures tell us that God formed us, God created us, God made us, and we are his property. We belong to God. And Isaiah, Isaiah, he speaks here and he says, the people who I'm formed for myself, speaking to God, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Here, God's word again gives us understanding that as we belong to him, and he brings us into a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, as we give our lives to him, and we come into a relationship with him, we can declare his praise, we can worship, we can glorify him. Why? Because he formed us that we would declare his praise. So when you ask the question, whose property are we of? We are God's property. We belong to God. He is the one that formed us again and shaped us, molded us. He's the one that created us, and everything that we have belongs to him. See, and as we understand that we are God's property, we come into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. We begin to live with him. What happens is we start to grow. We start to mature. We get an understanding of his word. We begin to apply it to our lives. We begin to, to read the scriptures and begin to live it out and begin to live it, uh, serve, serve God. And what happens is as we begin to grow in him, he begins to give us gifts to serve other people. He gives us gifts to be a service to those around us. In our series, we're using the scripture this month is 1 Peter 4.10. In the English uh, Standard Version, in 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift. God has given us all a gift. We've all been given gifts as we grow in him. And he says, use it to serve one another. Those gifts that God has given us, he says, serve one another with the gifts that God's given us. And he says, as good stewards. As good stewards. And we want to look at that, as, as, get an understanding of what stewards is. Because this month, we, want to, we know and we understand that God has given us a task of being stewards or managers. Uh, and, and we want to look at how, it is, or how to become successful in being good stewards. Last week, Brother Manny did an excellent job of giving us an understanding of what biblical stewardship is. He covered what was biblical stewardship and what it means to be a good steward in the house of the Lord. And when we look at biblical stewardship, it's caring well for what God has entrusted to us. Again, God gives us gifts. God gives us those things. God entrusts us with things, and he asks us to be a good steward with them. So it's caring well for those things that God has entrusted us with, what God has placed in our care. Those things that God has placed in our care, those things he's entrusted us with, we need to be good stewards. We need to care well for them. Tonight, I want to look at the topic of steward of family. I want to look at being a steward of family. Because again, as God has created us, God has given us gifts, but he's also given us the gift of family. And we want to look at what family is, first of all. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, he says, What therefore God has joined together, 
let no man separate. That wonderful person you're sitting next to tonight, tonight, God put you together, amen. When God is joined together, let no man separate. God has given us our spouses. God has blessed us with our, our spouses. In Psalm 127, verse three, it says that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for them from him. So we see now how God gives us our spouse, but he also gives us our children. They are a gift from God. Sometimes they don't feel like a gift, but they're a gift from God. Amen. Especially when you get to about 12, 13 to about 18. And then, then when they hit their thirties, amen, they come back. Amen. Praise the Lord. But they're a gift. Amen. They're a gift from God. They're a reward from him. So we understand that God has given us family and also he's given us the family of God. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, it's talking about the body of Christ. And he says, so it is with the body, with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, but we all belong together. God has given us family, whether it be our spouses, our children, the family of God. You know, we can extend it. Maybe you're not married, maybe you don't have kids, but you have mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins. We all have family. And this is what God has given us. He's given us our family, but he's also given us the responsibility to be a good steward of that family, to care for them and point them to Jesus. The main goal is that our family would know that, yes, Jesus is real. Jesus is a savior. In Matthew chapter 5, one of the ways we direct them and point them to Jesus is Matthew 5, 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. The light of God's word, the light of Jesus in your life, let that light shine before others that they may see the good works, to see what you're doing, to see the service that you're doing for God, and they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, as stewards, we need to let our light shine on our family those that are around us, the people of God, so that they would see Jesus in us. As we let our light shine, that they would see the, the characteristics of Christ in our lives, and, and, and they begin to see how his word is being lived out in our lives. See, when you let your light shine, especially to those in our dark place, because a lot of us know people, family members, brothers and sisters that may be in a dark place, but that light shines. They begin to see the Jesus. They begin to see what God is doing in our lives. They begin to see how God has changed us. They begin to, 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 to believe in that. And it says that, you know, that, that that light shines in their life, that they will begin to glorify God, that they will begin to understand that Jesus is real because of the, li- the life that we're living. The first thing I want to look at is a steward has a choice. As a good steward, we need to understand that we have a choice. As God has given us our family, God has given us the gift of our family, as God has called us to be good stewards of our family, we have a choice. We look at Joshua chapter 24. And as he's speaking to the children of Israel here, he says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors' worship and when they live beyond the Euphrates River. He says, and serve the Lord alone. He said, put away these idols, put away all these things that your people before served. And he says, and just serve the Lord. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, he says, then choose today who you will serve. He tells them, make a choice today. Who is it you are going to serve? Would you prefer gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the land you live in today? But he says this, but as for me and my family, other translations, as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And the people said that we will never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Joshua didn't say, you know what, I, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord, you know, and that's it. But he says it's not just for me, but it's for my, my family also. He was a steward of his family. And he says, and, you know, I'm not just going to serve himself and serve God on my own, but as for me and my house, as me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. See, he understood that he was responsible for his whole family. And, you know, to be a good steward, he needed to point them to God. He says, choose this day, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he said that me and my family, we are going to do that. We're going to serve the Lord. See, the choices and decisions we make don't only just affect us, because sometimes we think the things that I do are just a, a direct effect on me and nobody else. But we need to understand that it has a great effect on our whole family. The choices, the decisions we make, whether good or bad, it does have that effect. So we need to make good, godly choices. We need to choose to serve the Lord. Why? Because we're being stewards, that our family would be see that, that they would be directed to God. See, again, we don't think it's going to affect anybody, but everyone's watching. Our family's watching. People are watching us. The day we got saved, everybody starts watching. Say, yeah, I, I want to see if they're real about that. I want to see if they're serious. You know, I don't think they're going to make it. Just like everything else, they'll probably give up. But we decide in our heart, we make that choice that we are going to serve the Lord. We become that example. We become that light to them where they begin to see what God is doing and they begin to glorify God. See, Joshua said that he and, found, his, he and his family were going to serve the Lord. Because the reason he said it is because a challenge was given to him by Moses. Earlier that Moses spoke to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy and Moses challenged the people of God. So Joshua was there and he says, now listen today, I'm giving you a choice. As Moses is saying, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. He's telling them to make a decision. You got to make a decision. There's so many people in this world that just can't make a decision. It's just like you ask them to do something. Like, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? They can't make a decision. Come on. Just pick something. I used to, I used to work with a guy, and our boss would, you know, we were all lead men, and he would tell him, okay, go do this job, you know, and who do you want to take with you? I don't know. You tell me. Just pick somebody. Now, you tell me. You know, who do you want me to take? He says, just make a decision. Pick somebody. You know, and that's what a lot of times people have a hard time making a decision. Moses was saying, I'm giving you a choice today. Make a decision between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his way. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to occupy. He gives them and he tells them, look, this is what's going to happen. If you make a decision, make a choice to serve God, God's going to bless your life. But he goes on and he begins to tell them, but if you don't choose to serve God, this is what's going to happen. And there's destruction and disaster. And in verse 19, he says, today I have given you the choice between life and death. The choice is yours. You've got to make a decision. Do you want life or death between blessing or cursing? Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. People are watching. Everybody wants to see what is the decision you're going to make. I'm calling on heaven and earth to see the choice that you're making. Oh, that you would choose life. He tells them, choose life. As Joshua said, as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He also said, Moses said, choose life. So that you, and not just you again, a lot of times we think it's just us that's affected by the choices we make. But he says, so that you and your descendants will live. The choices you make has an effect, a great effect upon your family. And he says, if you choose life, you, you and your descendants will live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. The choice was made, and the choices that we make, again, 
It affects our families because, again, people are watching our lives and they're seeing what we're doing. See, so the choice, when we have a choice to, to, to serve God, to, to live for God, to choose life, then we have the choice to be a, a steward that trusts God for the whole family. The next point is a steward trusts God for their whole family. And Ephesians, I mean, sorry, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He says, trust him with your whole heart. Don't lean on your understanding. A lot of times we think we have it figured out. A lot of times we think, well, this is how it's going to work out. It says, don't lean on the, your own ways, but trust in the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make you straight your path. And we see a great example of this, of someone that trusted God. The widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17, as there was famine in the land, and God speaks to Elisha. He tells him to go live in the village of Zarephath. And he says, I've instructed a widow there to feed you. He tells him, I want you to go to this land. I know there's famine in the land, but there's a woman there that's going to feed you. It's going to take care of you. He says, I instructed this widow to feed you. So he went, and as he arrived in that village, as he arrived in that city, he saw the widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you bring me a cup of water? So he sees her. She's gathering some sticks. He says, well, excuse me, ma'am. Can you bring me a cup of water? Can you bring me something to drink? So she gets up. She says, okay. So she's going to get the water, but he says, and also, can you bring me something to eat? Can you bring me a bite of bread also? So it's probably like, oh my God, what's this guy asking? But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Because I don't even have bread in the house. Again, there's famine taking place in the land. She says, all I have is a handful of flour left in the jar, a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook to my last meal, and then my son and I were going to die. She says, look, I can't really give you anything. I can't offer you anything. All I have is our last meal. And she talks about it's just me and my son. I just have enough for me and my son. She didn't say anybody else, another family, just her and her son. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. He begins to tell her, don't be afraid. Trust God. Just trust God. Don't be afraid. Go do what you said, but make the bread for me first. He goes, yeah, I know you have just enough for you, son, but bring it to me first. And then he tells her this. As you do that, then you can make for you and your son what's left over. And this is where he tells her, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He says, this is what God is saying. Trust God in this point. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the Lord sends rain again. Here we see this widow is given a choice. She had a choice whether she was just going to do it her way and trust in her own understanding and say, you know what, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I, you know, I don't know what he means, but you know what, I'm just going to go get sticks, make bread for me and my son. This guy can get his own, and we're just going to live. But he says, no, trust God, because this is what God is saying. He says, you will, you, the containers will never run dry. She had a choice. Do it her way, just feed her son, her and her son, and just die. Or she could just trust the Lord and believe what, God, what the man of God told her that God said. So she did is exactly what Elisha said in verse 15. And it says, and her family, not just her and her son, but her family continued to eat for many days. See, the, the choice she made affected her whole family, that she trusted God, and it wasn't just for her and her son, but it says that Elisha, her family, continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord promised through Elisha. See, she had a choice to make. She had a choice to trust God. And many times we as God's people, as God has given us family, that God will challenge us to trust him, that we start thinking this is not going to work out. This isn't going to, this is, you know, we, we kind of plan it out our own way, but God says, you know, just trust me. Just trust me. Believe in me, and God will meet the need. God will help us in many ways. 
So many times we need to understand a steward, trust God for their family. See, we're responsible for those God places in our lives. Again, it tells us that we're stewards of family. That old way of thinking is, you know, how's this going to benefit just me? You know, uh, you know we're only, a lot of times we're only just looking out for ourselves. You know, selfish ways. That, you know, she could have easily said, no, nah, just me and my son, and that's it, and nobody else. Because that's what she said, it's just for me and my son. She's thinking, well, we're going to split it up between my family. No, she said, it's just for me and my son. But God had another plan. God just said, trust me. And a lot of times we get like that where we, 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 we think that how is this going to be- benefit me? We got to go from how is this going to benefit me to how is this going to benefit us? How is this going to benefit the whole family? See, a steward is also selfless. You know, they put the needs of their family and others first. And it says that her whole family was fed because of her trust. We see another area where someone trusted God. We see the story of Rahab in, in, in Joshua. We understand that Joshua is sending the spies into Jericho to spy out the land. God's going to give them Jericho. And Joshua in chapter 2 and verse, verse 2, he says, So the two men set out and came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there that night. Someone told the king that, hey, there's two Israelites that are here spying out the land. And he sends word to Rahab, bring out these men who have come to your house, for they have come to spy out the whole land. So again, as Rahab is hiding the spies, and she, she, she's there protecting them, the king finds out, wants, sends word that, you know, you need to bring those spies to us. Rahab had a choice to give them up or trust God. Rahab hid in these two men, and she replied, yeah, I know they were here earlier, but, you know, I don't even know where they were from, and, you know, they're gone now. She begins to say that, yeah, they're, they're not here any longer, but she was hiding them on the roof. So it says that as the story goes on, that she goes up to the roof, she begins to talk to them, and she tells them this. Again, she has a choice to make. Give them up and just, you know, be free or, or, or trust God. And it says, I know the Lord has given you this land. She's talking to the spies here. I know God has given you this land. We were afraid of you, everyone in this land is living in terror. He says, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. She says, I've heard what God has done. We have heard the miracles that God has been doing through you, how God is bringing you out of of, of captivity and bringing you into the land. She says, we have heard what God has done. When you left Egypt, no wonder our hearts have melted. She says, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and earth below. She's saying, I believe in God. I really believe in who God is. She's beginning to tell him, we've heard what God has done, and we know and, and we understand that your God is the supreme God of heaven and earth below. She begins to tell him that we believe God, so here she has to trust God. He says, now she begins to talk to the spies. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. She's saying, be kind. Show us kindness because I've, I've hid you, I've protected you. He says, give me some kind of guarantee. She says, when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live. She could stop right there. Just let me live. You know, when, when, when you conquer Jericho, it's just me and, you know, just, you know, you guys can take me in. Everybody else, they can fend for themselves. But no, she, 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 she swings for the fences right here. She goes, when Jericho is uh, conquered, you will let me live along with my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and their whole families. She was pleading for everybody. She didn't say just not me and my, 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 my family. She said my whole family. See, Rahab began to intercede for her whole family here. She was interceding for their lives. She was pleading for their lives. She knew what was coming. She knew and she understood and she heard in the power of God and she believed and she began to trust God. See, she was interceding. She was pleading for them. She was pleading for their lives. See, as a steward, as we being good stewards, we will need to intercede for others by praying for them. 
We will need to go before the throne of grace and, and, and cover people in prayer and, and believe God and plead their case, case before the Lord. See, as Stuart, as she was pleading for her family, she was interceding this the same for us, that we intercede for others with our family or family of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, I urge you, first of all, okay, first thing, he says, to pray for all people. Paul's writing, he says, pray for all people. Not just, you know, he says pray for all people. Not just your best friend and, you know, maybe, you know, your, your spouse. But he says pray for all people. He says ask God to help them. There's a lot of people that need help. And we just got to say, you know what, God, God, help them. Pray for those that we know that are struggling, that are hurting, that are broken. God, help them. He says intercede on their behalf. Stand in the gap for them. Begin to plead over them, pray over them, and give thanks for them. And this is exactly what Rahab did. She began to plead the case of her family. She prayed for her family. She interceded for them. And we see in Joshua chapter 6, as Joshua's there, and the instruction comes to march around the walls of Jericho six days, once every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they would march seven times. And then the seventh time around, they were going to give a shout, and the walls were going to come down. And, Josh, and Joshua's here. And he's, as the walls come down, he begins to speak and says, Jericho, or he's telling the people as they're getting ready to do this, he says, Jericho and everything must com be completely destroyed. He says, everything in Jericho must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. He says, only Rahab, and only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected the spies. She trusted God, she interceded for the family, and Joshua said, that, they, she, that her and her family would be spared. He said, destroy everything, everything. But everybody, she squeezed in her house. She's probably calling every second, third, fourth cousin, you know, come on in because, you know, it's going to get bad. Just come on in. Because she was pleading for her whole family. In Joshua 26, 22, it says, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family again. He didn't say just bring out Rahab. He said bring her whole family out. The men who had been spies went and brought out Rahab. Her, again, her mother, her father, her brothers, and all of their relatives. Again, every fourth, fifth cousin, aunt, uncle, you know, whoever. And many, they're probably all standing in the house just waiting, you know, before, you know, for them to come get them out. But it says that her whole family was with her. And they moved her whole family to a safe place. They moved to a safe place near the camp of Israel. In verse 25, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua, that the, Joshua had sent to the Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites today. See, Rahab had a choice to trust God, and she trusted God because she heard what God was doing, and she believed in what was to come, and she believed in God, and she began to say, you know what, I, 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 I'm going to trust the Lord, and it had a, such great an effect, it had such a, an effect on her family because they were all spared. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, talks about the heroes of faith here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And he gives a list of all those that lived by faith, all those that did great things by faith. But we see a woman who's included in the heroes of faith. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Here she is listed among those who had great faith her faith, her trust, her intercession saved her whole family. We look in the genealogy of Jesus, the ancestors of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. 
And in verse 5, it says, Solomon was the father of Boaz, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Here you see Rahab in the list of those family members of Jesus. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And there's a whole line of whose father, you know, whose, whose father and each son. And then it gets towards the end, and then it says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Here we see Rahab being listed in the genealogy, the ancestors of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she trusted God. She decided, you know what, I got a choice. I'm, I'm, I'm basically trying to protect my whole family. It says that, they, they, that the whole family was spared because she chose to protect her family. Also, a steward provides a place of refuge. As a steward and a good steward, we need to provide a place of refuge. And as stewards, our homes and the house of the Lord should be a place of refuge, a safe place. We talk about our own personal homes, and that should be a safe place. It should be a place of refuge, but also the house of God. We need to create and, and know that we create a place of refuge, a place, of, a, a safe place here in the house of God. See, when we talk about a place of refuge, a, place, a safe place, we talk about a place where there's love and encouragement, where you feel the love of God in there. You know, and, and, and there's going to be those that, that get far away, whether it be our family or, or friends that get far away from God because, you know, the decisions they make. But when they're out there and, and they're lost and, and they're hurting and they're broken, they need to know where home is. And they need to know that they're always welcome home. And that's where a steward provides a safe place, a place of refuge, that as messed up as they may get, they know that where home is. There's a great story of the prodigal son in, in, in Luke chapter 15, the story of the young man who comes to his father, and he asks him, Father, give me my inheritance now. He didn't want to wait till his father died. He goes, I want my inheritance now. Give me what I, I would get. He says his father gave it to him. A few days later, he packed up his stuff and just went, took off. And he said he started living wildly. He just started living it up, wild living, just lost, got lost. He was, you know, just so lost, lost everything. He says that he was just pretty much lost it all. Famine began to hit the land. So in, in verse 15, he says he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. He got a farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Understand, this kid had a great place, great home, but he finds himself feeding the pigs. It says the young man was so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. That's how hungry he was. He was going to eat the pig slop. That's how hungry he was. It says, but no one gave him anything. No one helped this young man. No one gave him anything. I'm sure he was out partying with people, and he was, had all this money, and he's probably, you know, treating and buying for everybody. But once that money was gone, all those that were around him were gone. It says, no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, this young man came to his senses. He remembered where home was. He remembered where that safe place was. He remembered where that refuge was. It was his father's house. He said, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to eat or spare. He says, even the servants have extra food. You know, my dad takes care of them. But here I am dying of hunger. He says, I'm going to go back to my father and say, I have sinned against you. He's basically saying, I'm going to go ask my dad for forgiveness. I'm going to ask God, my dad, to forgive me. So in verse 20, he says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, he saw his father coming. I know some of you would be like, oh my God, what do they want now? You know, he's coming back for more money. Here he comes again. You know, how long is it going to last this time? 
It says as his father saw him coming, his father was filled with love and compassion. He says that he ran to his son. He didn't wait for him to come, man. He seen his son, and he ran to him because that was his son. That was his boy. That was the gift that God had given him. And it says that he embraced him. He kissed him. You know, he, he hugged him. And, 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 and we see how this young man was lost and far off, but he understood, and he knew where home was. And when he got home, he was shown that love and compassion. It says his dad even threw him a barbecue, amen, it's a big old barbecue. But the love and that compassion was shown by his father. He could have easily said, you know, get out of here. You know, I already gave you what was yours. There's nothing left to give you. You know, you, 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 you messed up. You blew it. Get out. But he said, no, this is your home. This is where you belong. He ran. He embraced him. He kissed him. And he showed him that love and that compassion. See, in First John 4, 19, it says, we love each other because he first loved us. We love each other because God first loved us. God, as messed up as some of us were, if you really look at our lives, some of us were really messed up. Some of us, you know, you may not have been a drug addict, a gang member, but man, deep inside, you were messed up. You know, lonely, you know, just depressed, bound, you know, addicted, whatever it may be. A lot of us were just messed up in life. But as we were messed up, God loved us. God accepted us, and he showed us his compassion by sending his son to die for us. He showed us his love, and because of that love that he showed us, we're able to show that love and compassion to others, especially our family or the family of God. And we can understand, you know what? God loves me. God showed me love. God showed me compassion. As bad and as messed up as I was, we can still show the love to others. See, this, father, this young man probably thought his dad was like, oh, man. But he came, and he knew where home was. You know, how often do we make things worse because of our criticism and judgment? You know, Stuart, you know, creates a, a safe place, a place of refuge. But how often do we make things worse? Because we're always criticizing. We're always judging. We're always saying hurtful things out of anger. You know, we, we just can't control our anger. We're always lashing out and, and, and just saying things out of anger. You know, his father may have been hurt. He may, have, may even be angry with him because he just took everything and left. But he didn't show it to him. He didn't show him that anger. He didn't show him that disappointment. He didn't show him, you know, that hurt. All he showed him was love and compassion. You know, we can't control what we say. When we lash out, it just divides. You know, it's like it just turns people away. And what happens is our home no longer becomes a safe place. It's like, well, I don't want to be here. Always yelling at me, always arguing. And I'm not talking just our kids, but our spouses, those around us, even friends, you know, in the house of God. And we're always angry and bitter and always just criticizing. It's not, it's not a safe place and people don't want to be around. See, this young man knew where home was. You know, he said, I didn't, he, he didn't in his heart say, I can't go home. Because he's thinking in his mind, you know, he didn't say, oh, I can't go home because my dad kicked me out, you know. His dad didn't kick him out. He left on his own. And, and a lot of times, people use that as option number one. You know, I'm just going to kick them out, you know. They, they, you know, they, they don't do homework. You know, get out of here. You, you're out of here, you know. Don't let kicking our kids out be option one, number one, you know. Because if we kick out our kids, when we read, it talks about no one gave this young man anything. No one gave him anything. And we start just kicking our kids to the curb, our family members to the curb, our spouses to the curb. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going who's to be there for them? And I understand there needs to be consequences. There needs to be house rules. There needs to be order in the house. And yes, we need to have consequences, but don't let kicking somebody out be the first option. They right away say, oh, you may be mad. Get out of here. 
We've got to work with them. We've got to love them. We've got to deal with it, pray over them. And if then, if, if it's not working out, then you've got to tell them you've got to make some decisions here. But don't let kicking kids out or your family members or anybody around you be your first option. Yeah, there needs to be confidence, but there also needs to be love too. He never thought, yo, I can't come home because my dad will probably start yelling at me. He'll start cussing me out. You know, I, I hear a lot of people that, people say, man, that, that sister, that brother started cussing me out. I'm like, what? You know, you can't be doing that. In, in Ephesians 4.29, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't use foul or abusive language. Don't, and, and it's not just cussing, but it's being abusive criticisms, you know, uh, put-downs and all these things. Don't use that kind of language. But let everything you say be good and helpful. Let everything we say be something that's going to be good, something that's going to be helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That when we speak words, we want to speak words of encouragement. We want to speak words of life. We want to speak words of blessing over people. We don't want to be tearing down, but we want to be lifting up. (laughs) Don't tear down. We need to build up. This, this young man was able to go home because he knew his father's character. He knew his father's character. He knew he was a good man. He knew he was a loving man. When he's sitting there and he's thinking to himself and he came to his senses, he says, even at home, the hired servants have enough food to spare. That my dad takes care of people. Even his servants have, he says, food to spare. He ain't giving them rations like, okay, you get this, you know, this bologna sandwich and, and, and some orange juice for the day and that's it. No. It says his father took care of his servants. And it says that they had enough to spare. So he understood that his dad was a good man, a loving man, and he, was, he knew where home was. He knew his safe place. See, our homes and the house of God need to be a place of refuge, a safe place, a place of forgiveness and grace, because that's what a steward does. They provide that. They provide a safe place, a place of refuge, a place of forgiveness and grace. In Hebrews 10, 24 it says, let us think of ways to motivate another to acts of love and good works. Think about that. It's telling us, think about it. Think on how you can motivate someone to do acts of love and good works. That ain't going to be coming from yelling or screaming or putting down or criticizing. That's going to be coming from, from, as we talked about earlier, words that are going to encourage. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to, to, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not, as other scriptures, other translations, let us not forsake the assembling of us together, of gathering together the people of God. It says, don't forsake that. And some have made a habit of it. He says, but encourage one another. As we gather together, when there's times where you're able to gather together, whether it be a family gathering or when the house of God, when we get together on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, we're, you know, we're here. Why? Because we want to encourage one another. I want to say, hey, you know what? I want to be in church because I want to encourage somebody. Or, man, I'm struggling. I need to go to church because I need to be encouraged by somebody. You know, I need to get around some family because I need to be encouraged. Or I need to get around some family because I need to encourage my family. So don't forsake the gathering together, because some are making a habit of it. Some are beginning to isolate themselves, stay away, you know, just kind of serve God on their own, begin to allow the devil to lie to them because they're not being encouraged. They're not being in the presence of God's people. They're not being around family. They begin to separate themselves, isolate themselves, and they begin to allow the enemy to come in and lie, and they begin to separate themselves. It says, we need, don't forsake, don't make it a habit of missing out on the gatherings because you're, we're here to encourage one another. Also, a steward 
Again, we have a choice. A steward spends quality time. Barbara Bush wrote this quote. She says, at the end of your life, you will never regret having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or closing one more deal. He says, she says, you will regret the time not spent with a spouse, a friend, a child, or a parent. Think about that. All of these things we consume our, our lives with, at the end, we're not going to regret making more money or regret doing this, but the things we'll regret is not time well spent, quality time spent with a spouse, with a friend, with a child, with a parent, with the people of God. Let's not live in regret, you know, thinking or saying, God, I wish I had more time. I wish I would have spent more time. It's so important to spend quality time with family. It's so important because a lot of people say, well, I spend time with the family. You know, I took them to Disneyland or I took them to Knott's Berry Farm or we went here and there. Me and my wife, my, my daughter-in-law works for Disney, so she got us into Disneyland. And packed, it was packed. It was on a Monday too. So we're there and I'm just kind of, I like to just observe people, I just kind of watch. And I'm seeing families that are together because we went to go eat in one of the restaurants there. And I'm just, we were just talking and then I'm just looking and then it's like, the family, like a family of eight comes in, you know, and they're sitting down. I'm going, wow, they must have spent a lot of money there. But anyway, but I'm sitting there watching them, and I kid you not, everybody's on their phone. Everybody, mom, dad, kids. I, they had maybe cousins with them. It was like a big family. They're all sitting around the table, and that's all I see. Just, and no communication, no interaction. You know, and, and I think about that, because a lot of times we say, well, I spend time with them, but there's no interaction, no communication. You know, we're basically ignoring each other. Yeah, oh, I took them here, I took them there. But there's no communication, there's no quality time. Earlier I mentioned about how we can be critical, judgmental, and angry. And then when it's time to get together with people, we wonder why they don't want to spend time with us. It's because they know what to expect from us. They know that, you know, hey, it's not going to be quality time. It's going to be a time of, you know, where they're just going to criticize me. They're just going to judge me. They're just going to, you know, put me down or, you know, correct everything I do. And, and, and that's why a lot of people don't want to be around us. They don't want to spend that quality time with us because of the way we act, the way we talk to people. See, quality time, when you look at quality time, it's undivided attention to strengthen relationships. It's undivided attention to strengthen your relationship with your family Again, with your immediate family or the family of God. It's quality time spent that there are no distractions, that there are no distractions, that the quality time, when you, you spend that quality time and you get rid of all the distractions, turn off the TV, you know, put the phone down, and you begin to just talk, what happens is it opens up good communication. You begin to have some good communication. You begin to talk to each other. You begin to share your goals, your visions, your dreams, your desires, some things that you're struggling with. And you begin to hear this because you would never have heard it if you're just sitting there doing this and nobody's talking. Nobody's spending that quality time. Well, I took them to Disneyland. Yeah, but you didn't really spend the quality time. You were just there walking around, standing in line, just looking around. And, 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 I, and I kid you not, I'm just kind of watching people. And, Man, people are addicted to their phones. I mean that. I mean that. People are addicted to their phones. It's like my son, I'm going to give him up. He, 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 he used to work at Best Buy. He got another job, but he worked like five minutes from his house. So he bought himself a scooter. So he takes a scooter, you know, a nice scooter. You know, he would take it to work and come home in like five minutes. Get a, did a text. Danny crashed. Oh, sure. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say his name. Anyway, Danny, probably want, he didn't watch it anyway, but anyway. 
Danny crashed. Oh, God, and he got pretty, pretty messed up. He was, I think he broke some, he thought he broke some ribs. It was all tore up. I'm like, well, what were you doing? Oh, I was checking my phone while he's on the scooter. <laughs> we miss out on so much quality time because we're so distracted. We are so distracted. We, 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 we got to put away the distractions and focus in because we begin to identify the gifts and the talents that people have when we're spending that quality time. We begin to identify what God is doing in our life because we're focusing in and having good communication, good conversations, and we're beginning to encourage them in the gifts that they have. Why? Because we're spending that quality time. And not, I have nothing against Disneyland and all that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Do that. But when you're there, put the phone away. I'm serious. I just, I just I, it, it amazes me. I think people are walking around in the street like this, and I'm like, getting, cars are flying by them. I work for a city, and I'm like, I don't know how many close calls I've had because people are just like this, you know, in the middle of the street. Put away the distractions and spend quality time with your family. The platform can come up. We look at the early church. In the quality time, yes, we spend with family, but also with the family of God. And, and it, in a sense... It still is our family because we bring our family into the, into the house of God with, with the family of God. But in Acts chapter 2, we just see the early church as people of God were spending quality time. It's all the believers in, in, in verse 42 of chapter, Acts 2. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. All the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, and shared the money among those who were in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There was unity in that church. There was unity in the early church. And what happened is it brought revival. Because of the quality time that they were spending together. You really look at it, man, I just, when I was reading this, I was just like, wow, I was just, the time that we spend, and it's, you know, they didn't have cell phones then. You know, they didn't, they didn't even have pay phones back then. But they were spending the quality time. And you see how they were devoted to the teaching. There was fellowship. They were sharing meals. They were praying together. They were seeing miracles and signs and wonders. They were sharing everything amongst each other. They were selling their property and they would give to those that were in need. They were worshiping together. They were meeting day by day in different homes. And they shared their meals with great joy, great joy and generosity. They were praising God and they were enjoying the company of one another. And the result of that was that God was adding to those that were being saved because they were spending quality time as a church. And yes, they're there with their families too. You know, I'm sure it wasn't just the husbands, but it was, they're bringing their families out. So the whole family was being affected, as Joshua said, as me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. People were bringing their families into the house of God, and they were experiencing revival because of the quality time that was being spent there. 
The question is, who's, who's property? Who's property? That's the title of our series. We are God's property. As his property, he gives us gifts. Those gifts to be stewards of and to take, take care and take good care of the gifts he's given us. God has given us a family, you know, whether it be our, our spouses, our children, our parents, our, you know, aunts, uncles like Rahab, her whole family, but also the family of God. God has given us family. And as stewards, we have a choice to make. We're going to choose to serve God. We've got to trust God for our families. We need to provide a place of refuge. And we need to spend that quality time. Because those in our care will eventually glorify God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Let's pray.